Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. So today is going to be a little bit of a grab bag variety. Friday weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am Dan Bespris. This, of course, is a sports ethos presentation. I almost said hoopball. I was really close. I haven't done that in a long time. A little out of sorts. Yeah, it's one of those nights, you know, you had to take a little extra Benadryl to get a full night of rest, and so the following day, you're just a little cloudy. This is, however, thank you to the uh, the date for making the counting job pretty easy. Off-season episode number 85. Woo! That's a lot. August 26th. That will be off-season episode number 100. And we'll still have almost two months left before an actual counting basketball game takes place. As of that moment. However, you know, Yahoo's open. Yahoo leagues are open. Fantrax leagues are open. We're in the downslope. The question for us now only really is, how do we want to present our work, our data, as the season comes rolling around the corner? Because we've got our bucket list, which is in the oven cooking, as you guys might recall. Trying to keep that little metaphor rolling. And then you're going to start to get into ADP data. We're not that far away from having some of that. Eh, Not yet. Um, I don't think that there's... Yeah, Yahoo hasn't put out their first ADP information. We've got folks that are posting the results of individual drafts taking place right now. I, I don't know how overwhelmingly useful those are. You really need a large sample size because anybody that's posting draft results right now, they're in leagues that are pretty crazy. Diehards, loony bins, whatever you want to call us, all of us. You know, I like to try to push them a little bit later, but just, you know, the general, the the D-gens of the world. Forget Gen X or Gen Y or Gen Z. That's Gen D. Degeneratives. <laughs> the degenerates. We're generation degeneration. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that those numbers are banging around a little bit, and they're uh, a good very, very first glance, but it's not something we can really work off of right now. So today, we have a couple things to do, kind of a couple half segments, really, whereas earlier this week, we really dove in hard on the first pass, pass one on all of our NBA draft board and the buckets and so forth. And over the last two days, we uh, we knocked out, I think, four teams. And as I was working through that, and that's, again, this is like, every episode of this show is a little bit like Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know how it's all going to go. I just know where I want to get to. And the problem I've found now is that the you know we did a show on Tuesday where I went into the methodology behind all of this called the bucketology and then Wednesday Thursday I wanted to try to get through like eight or nine teams in those two shows ten would have been great and we got through four 
And I'm not about to, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Dan, you did a half an hour. You did 32 minutes on that show. You could have just done another 10 minutes. Yeah, I could have, but the way things were rolling, that was only getting us through one additional team, and unfortunately, that just kind of wasn't fast enough. I can do it faster if I'm not on air as I'm walking through all of the players that we're putting onto our list. And then as I was doing that, you know, we started to talk about how uh, this list it needs to be like a cooking show. You know, we did, I showed you guys how we add a couple of the ingredients and then I put it in the oven and then you take a commercial break and on the other side of that, there's the finished thing is in a different oven on the other side of the studio. So that's kind of like, that's kind of what I was trying to do here. And I got through a handful of additional teams because it, even when I was not on air, it's still taking six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes per, depending on how many fantasy players are relevant per team to get through this. It's 30 teams and it's probably in the neighborhood about eight minutes per team. If you wanted to call it 10, just for posterity, that'd be 300 minutes. If you wanted to call it eight, I don't, I don't care. 240 minutes. It's four hours or it's five hours. That's a lot of podcast episodes. When we're doing them only 30 to 35, 40 minutes per show, you're talking about a couple of weeks worth of episodes. And based on just the amount of free time I have right now, I can't sit down and do four or five hours of NBA handicapping all at once. So I put the list in the oven on yesterday's show, and we're going to turn on the oven light on today's show. I'm not taking it out. It's not done yet. That bread has not raised Still matzah. <laughs> but we are going to turn the oven light on, and we'll take a glance in there at some of the things that are shaking out. Not so much the list itself, but how groups are beginning to form on that list. The other half segment on today's show is uh, basically that it's already happened. It being, Yahoo has already adjusted their pre-ranks for the coming season. It already happened. It's not everybody. It wasn't uh, overwhelming, substantial movement, but there are a few names that are already bouncing around a little bit, and I think it does behoove us to keep an eye on that stuff. So those are the two half segments on today's show. Uh, we'll see where that puts us time-wise. And we'll reassess from there. And then I'm hoping, you know, weekends, I always, back in the old days, back in the days before there were multiple kids in the family, weekends were a really lovely time to get things done. And uh, now weekends are a time where I am completely overloaded and overwhelmed with uh, childcare-related activities. What I'd like to try to do, I would love to finish Pass 1 over the weekend or at least get to the very end of it, and then we can maybe try to put like the finishing touches on it on Monday's show. And then on Tuesday, depending on what news happens in the NBA, if any, we start to move into past two, which I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I can present that on a podcast because it's very finicky. It's, it's going through it piece by piece and figuring out what little tweaks need to be made. But I'll figure it out. Worst case scenario, it's just not a great, not a great podcast. But you guys will sit through it because what the hell else are we going to do here? There's a whole lot of basketball content out there right now. 
tiny bit of news that broke uh, earlier on Friday morning. I don't know when you guys are listening to this podcast, but apparently the Jazz, the Knicks, and the Lakers have had discussions internally on Donovan Mitchell moving to the Knicks, Russell Westbrook going to the Jazz, where he would likely be bought out, and pieces, an assortment, a collection of pieces going from both of those teams potentially to L.A. I guess the beauty of this is that maybe the Lakers wouldn't have to get as many of their picks involved because the Knicks would be getting the superstar in the deal, so they'd be the team expected to give up assets. The Lakers would be kind of in facilitation mode. They'd get rid of a guy they're trying to get rid of. I'm sure that would mean something, but they would also be taking stuff off the hands, maybe some not-as-great money, like perhaps a contract that extends beyond just the end of this year. Someone like a Mike Conley, I think he has two years left. Anyway, all of these things still hanging in the balance. The read I get, by the way, everybody wants to talk about what's going on with the Lakers now. They're just kind of sitting on their hands. The read that I'm getting, and it's all looking between the lines, tea leaves, whatever, uh, on the Lakers is that they want to make sure that LeBron signs an extension. They're not pulling the trigger on any of this stuff until LeBron agrees to an extension because... If LeBron is not coming back next year to L.A., they'd rather just have Westbrook's contract expire and then go into an offseason with a boatload of money to spend. If LeBron is coming back, you can continue to build around him for a couple more years. At that point, then you start to look and see who's willing to take on Russell Westbrook's contract and what type of fits can you get back. In addition to one other point, this wasn't even a segment I planned on doing on today's show, but we're just going to get into it. There's the whole Kyrie Irving stuff, which right now it's looking more and more like he's going to stay in Brooklyn. Although there was a report from Jovan Bua, who covers the Lakers, that Kyrie Irving is still eyeing the Lakers in free agency. That basically Kyrie now is looking at this season as a rehabilitate the value year play it out in Brooklyn. I still don't think he was super thrilled with the Nets because they didn't offer him the extension. They just let him opt into the one-year deal and kind of said, look, dude, you're in no position to tell us what to do right now. You've played in half of your games for a couple seasons in a row. So is Kyrie, like, is he going to want to come back and reward a franchise that kind of hard-lined him a little bit? I doubt it. So then if you're the Lakers, you're saying, okay, well, I got to make sure that whatever we're getting back is either A, good for us without Kyrie. In my mind, Indiana would be your best opportunity there. Getting Buddy Heald and Miles Turner would be fantastic fits for the Lakers. Or something shorter. You get short stuff back from Westbrook. Short-term contracts, things that come off the books. Or you just ride it out with Russ, bring him off the bench, don't let him do all that much, try to see what you can piece together with your guys this year, probably not a championship, tell LeBron to kind of dial it back, and you know, make a little playoff push and see what happens. But mostly at that point, you're just playing for next year, which sucks because then you're, between last year and this coming season, if that's the route the Lakers take, you're, you're sort of just detonating two LeBron years, and there aren't that many left Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize 
You're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. I don't know. Obviously, the Lakers would be the best. The best scenario would be to get Kyrie Irving because he's a superstar level NBA player and he's medium. He's not old, old, so he could still be outstanding for a few more years. Uh, but it sounds like you're going to need to wait until the offseason to make that happen. And then the second best option, I still, I just really don't like the idea of waiting with Russ, is whatever maybe this Jazz Knicks thing happens to be, you get a few pieces, money that comes off the books. I think Pat Beverly is he in the last year of his deal. That was thrown in there. Um, whatever you might be able to squeeze out of the Jazz or Knicks in terms of sort of fringe role player type guys, maybe you could pair them up. And at least you'd look better than trotting out a Troy Brown Jr. starting lineup. Unclear, unclear, but it does seem like that's kind of the timeline. And we'll see how all that shakes out. All that to say, I guess, don't expect anything to happen in the next day or two. Although when LeBron does sign his extension, you might see a few dominoes fall there. Uh, Everybody's talking about how the Kevin Durant trade request stuff is the main domino. And they're right. That is the main one. But it's not the only one. LeBron's extension in L.A. is an equally, in my estimation, an equally large domino that uh, if those two, when we know what's happening with those two things, it's a little weird with the volume on today's show. I apologize if it's kicking any of you guys around. When you know what's happening with those two things, then you're going to see everything else fall into place. So just uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled. Can you peel an ear? Corn, maybe. Okay. So, segment, half segment, whatever you want to call it, mini segment number one. Yahoo. We knew the adjustments would be swift, but we didn't know how all-encompassing. And the answer is not all-encompassing. Partially encompassing. They've moved a few bodies around. Not much at the top. Still Jokic, KD, Trey, Embiid, Towns, Curry, Doncic, Tatum, Giannis up at the top. LaMelo is at 10, Harving, Ir- or Harden, Irving. Harving, that's James Harden and Kyrie Irving combined. It's a very interesting basketball player. A lot of facial hair. Uh, LeBron at 13, Jod 14, Dame at 15, Kawhi 16, Butler AD. So a lot of that stuff, basically the top 20 has largely remained the same. I think maybe one or two players might have flip-flopped in there. You start to see a few tweaks as you get outside the top 20. What I don't know at this point is whether the tweaks outside the top 20 are the start 
of larger moves for those players that did shuffle about or if this is the one you need to consider. Like if this is the spot where they will remain for a little bit. And the first one that jumped out to me on this, uh, I believe Devin Booker moved down a tiny bit, but that one's not a big one. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is now up to number 24. So at the back end of the second round, there's... I don't really even know how to explain it. Shea played some games down the stretch last year. And overall, his fantasy numbers were excellent. He was number 34 on a per-game basis. So I, I understand that element of it. But the Thunder are still not going to be good this year. Adding Chet is fine, but he's still a rookie. Even if fantasy-wise, he might have an impact. And, you know, you might see Josh Giddy take a step forward. That team still isn't a contender in the Western Conference. And we've seen already that if they're not going to be an actual threat, they'll tank. They'd rather go get another Chet. Go get another top one, two, three. Like, if they have a bottom three record in the NBA, they might have a chance at a generational talent, and then they can start to move bodies around. You get that generational talent, you start to cash in all of your draft assets, so on and so forth. But I don't, I don't see the reasoning why that should happen now. So... There's this kind of weird argument happening around Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I witnessed it happen on Twitter, and I sat and I stroked my beard, or I stroked my chin and thought, hmm, interesting. Because I don't know that there was a, a truly right answer on the Shea front on the head-to-head -head side. Because on one side of the argument was, OKC's going to tank, you can't draft Shea in head-to-head. -head. And on the other side was, well, he actually kind of played at the end of the year, and a lot of his missed games were kind of the pre-tank registered trademark fantasy NBA Today, Dan Vespers, uh, 2020. The pre-tank. Missed a bunch of games early in 2022, then came back for a little bit near the fantasy playoffs and then ended up sitting out a few more down the stretch. You know me, 9-cat roto. It's much easier to just look at the games played column and not worry about the exact moment when they occurred. And the tank for OKC, has pretty much limited Shea to two-thirds of a season. Those are better case scenarios. Remember, they were good with Chris Paul in the COVID year. He played 70 games. The shortened season, the uh, explicitly the built 72, he only played 35 games that year. Woof. And then this season, so he missed 37 that year. This last year, he missed 26 if they're not trying to win, they're not going to play their best guy. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is their best player, the most impactful guy on the team. Very strong fantasy numbers. Mid to high 40s in field goal percent, just over 80 free throw. Not a ton of three-pointers, but decent rebounds for a guard, decent assists, good steals, good blocks for his position on the floor, good scoring. There's a lot to like. Very reasonable to assume he'll be a third-round per-game guy again. Although maybe you dial it back ever so slightly with other players emerging in OKC. But to draft him at 24 is to suggest that even if his fantasy game takes a step forward, which 
a glance suggests that there are a couple spots that it could happen. His free throw percent could inch up, although he's been pretty locked in at about 80-81 throughout his career so far. But maybe you see that inch towards 82-83. Field goal percent could inch up. High volume, 45.5. When he was a little lower volume, he was more like around 47-48. So maybe he can get back to that spot. Could three-pointers inch up a little bit? Maybe, although then you probably have to wipe out any field goal percent gains. So there is a world where Shea gets a little bit better, inches into the late 20s on a per-game basis, but mid to early 20 drafts position suggests that there is an expectation he plays more than the league average number of games this coming season, and I just can't wrap my head around that if they're trying to lose. The Thunder have shown they prefer to go heavy tank and not just kind of accidentally lose ballgames. The only way around that, because nothing is set in stone right now, it's August 5th, the way around that is that someone finally says, look, this team has been in pure, unadulterated tank for two consecutive seasons. I mean, we're entering process territory now where you're just blowing year after year after year. And, yeah, they got Shea signed super long term. Did they have to promise him that they would try this year, that they would let Giddy play 68 ball games or more, and they'd let Lou Dort play 68 games or more, and Shea could play 68 games or more. Did they promise that for this coming season? It seems more reasonable to suggest that they said, we need one more El Dumpo of a year, and then we'll crank it up. You'll have Giddy in his third season at that point. You'll have Holmgren in his second season at that point. We'll know what we have in guys like Pokashevsky. What is Darius Baisley? Lou Dort got his extension. He can ratchet it up a little bit. We'll have one more super high draft pick. And we'll still have about 34 picks that we can cash in for a few veterans. In an offseason, perhaps, where more interesting players are becoming available. Not to say that anyone could be more interesting than Kevin Durant, but, you know, get yourself involved. Get in the mix. I don't know. I just think right now, looking at the the rosters, looking at the way the West in particular is built, is suggests that this team should try to lose one more time. Anywho. Uh, so that was one that jumped out at me, him leaping forward. Demonis Sabonis moved up to 25. I think that was Freddie Van Vliet before, who only moved down the one slot, but Sabonis sliding up the board is actually one that I'm not all that uh, blown away by because Sabonis was around 40 per game last season, uh, and that included some games in Sacramento where he was sort of semi-involved. He was number 25 the previous year in Indiana, played 62 out of 72 games, that's a pretty good, pretty reasonable spot for him. He was 24 by totals, 25 per game. His role this coming season shouldn't be that hyper different than his role in Indiana. He is 1B along with De'Aaron Fox, and frankly, they might just be better if he was 1A. I think Sabonis might be a better passer than Fox. Shh, don't tell anybody. So, yeah, I think he'll play. I think Sacramento, um, for better or worse, wants to try to make the playoffs. So they're going to be pushing all season long. They're trying to instill a better culture out there. They've made, I think, some more shrewd decisions around the margins. 
I still hate that they got rid of Tyrese Halliburton, but they sold high on a youngster by all accounts. Still think it feels like they could have gotten more, uh, but Sabonis is a good basketball player. Kings are not going to play any defense. They're going to be a great fantasy team. And so, you know, Demonis, seeing Demonis there around 25 actually feels relatively accurate. And, at you know, if, if we're upset that maybe we can't get him in the mid to late third anymore, at least with every one of these guys that moves up, we've now pushed Freddie Van Fleet out of the second round, which frankly is just mean at this point uh, because he was number 22 last year. On a totals basis, he was 17 per game, does have a nagging knee thing, and Toronto's always going to ride him until he falls apart. But as far as third-round near-guarantees go, Van Vliet is now becoming one. Chris Paul is kind of another one of those guys where it's like, look, these guys can almost close their eyes and walk into fantasy value inside the top 20. So if I can draft them at 26 to 33... Hell, hell yeah. Why the hell not? Surprisingly, Tyrese Halliburton is still at 29 on this board. Yeah, who hasn't moved him around very much. Gobert at 30. I think that's a tiny bit lower. I may have lost track on that one than he was before. The Time Lord has moved down to number 35, which I think was only two or three slots from where he was before. But I am encouraged by the fact that he's going the other way. Fears about his knee may be driving this discussion, but again... You've got all these per-game guarantees in the third round. Your choice really is like, which of these guys do I think is going to get to 65 games this year? And between those three, none of them might. All three of them might. Chris Paul, oddly enough, is probably the safest because he doesn't have any chronic stuff going on, even though he's far and away the oldest guy in that bunch. Time Lord, just so big that you know he's going to be dinged up, and then Van Vliet, who's going to play you know, 42 minutes a game this year and lead the league. So he'll miss some ball games as well. So at that point, you're kind of choosing between fantasy stat sets. I only wish that I could make three or four third round picks and feel good about it. Problem is, if you reach down for one of these guys in the second round, you're then passing over some of these other second round dudes like Kawhi Leonard, who have first round per game upside. But I'll tell you, though, if you're kicking around at the bottom of the second round, like if you had a relatively early pick in the first, and you've got Donovan Mitchell and Shea and Sabonis and Booker, who, you know, I don't mind Devin Booker anymore now that he's getting a steal a ball game. I have no problem at all if you just pass over those dudes. And you're like, you know, I'd rather just go like Chris Paul and, and uh, towards the end of the second round or, you know, Van Vliet towards the end of the second round and just pull a guy out of the beginning of the third because there's just it's just such a near guarantee with these guys you don't have to worry about the bottom falling out other than injury stuff which I guess you could make a similar case to with Sabonis but we've seen him fall down towards 40 we've seen it happen with Shea you've got the tank stuff hanging over your head and Donovan Mitchell, you've got the where's he even going to play. Adebayo, still pre-ranked 21. I think there's, we saw what he is in the current Miami Heat iteration, and he's probably not top 20 per game anymore. So why not take a guy who's maybe a tiny bit more injury prone, but per game upside of one and a half, maybe two rounds better? Third round is just a great place to draft. That's the way it always works. Third round's a bunch of guys that fall. 
that have mid-second per game potential but just aren't as interesting. Not as interesting. Ah, well. Uh, a couple of the names that shuffled around in this most recent iteration. Um, Porzingis actually moved up two or three slots. Thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Zion's at 45, which I think is pretty close to where he was before, but still relatively high. Uh, Josh Giddy at 54 was uh, remains pretty high on the board. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon at 66. I believe they are finally now moving him down, but not fast enough. <laughs> Andrew Wiggins at 69. That's leaning very hard into the total stuff. Uh, starting to see a few of the younger names appear now that they've, they're beginning to incorporate recent draftees. Paolo Banchero is pre-ranked 95. I think that'll probably continue to slide up the board as we get co closer to draft day because, you know, buzzy names and so forth. Uh, Keegan Murray is pre-ranked 102, which I don't like. I get it, but there's a ton of summer league hype happening right now for a guy who is almost definitely uh, splitting minutes with like four other shooting guard wing types on that Sacramento side. Uh, Chet Holmgren now, uh, pre-ranked 120, so you knew that big adjustment was coming. He was at like 340 the last time around. They just hadn't placed these guys yet. And those are probably the most interesting ones. Alperin Shangun still at 134, oddly enough. Damian Jones in L.A., pre-ranked 129. Some weird stuff going on as you get back into that range. But now that you're starting to see the young guys creep in there, that's something to take note of. I think they all go earlier than you're seeing those names already. And I'm sure that I just overlooked... Where'd Smith go? Is he in there somewhere? I just miss him, or do they forget to plop him in? Where are you, Smith? Hmm. I don't actually see him. Hmm. How odd. I guess he's farther down the board. They must not have plopped him in yet. All right, well, get ready for another name to creep up there. He's hanging out someplace on this thing. Yeah, who doesn't make it easy to search? Hello. There he is, 153. I got there. Okay. Yeah, um, you know, right next to Dorian Finney-Smith. Markel Fultz and James Wiseman and Daniel Gafford all right there. Yeah, I mean, Smith is going to... He'll push earlier than that. Duh. And the other half segment on today's show, which Dan rolled off, uh, said I was going to do two half segments. I think we're already a half hour deep on this thing. Um, I just wanted to take the, our, our, uh, turn the oven light on again just for a moment and suggest I'm not going to give you all the names on the board. I've gone through the rest of the Pacific Division, I've gone through most of the Northwest Division. Uh, and it's got us to about, um, where are we at here? About 45, 50 names on our list, which makes sense because we should get about 50, about 25 per division or so. And we're at 50 and we're, we're almost done with two divisions. And what now is beginning to happen, and I would suggest you guys do the same. I, I really don't want you guys to copy this list. This is a, first of all, this is pass one. So problem number one right there. But also, I want you guys to be doing this stuff. 
This podcast from day one has been about teaching you all the fish, so to speak. I'm not just going to give you the fish. I want to teach you. So, I would love for you guys to, to do some of these things on your own and kind of see what you come up with. But a couple of notes from where we've gotten so far. The upper crust, kind of the top 50, becomes pretty, not easy, but comparatively easy to sort in a particular order with the very small corollary that maybe you put like a little marking, demarcation on certain players if you had second thoughts about maybe moving them up one or down one slot. The uh, 50 to 75 range is a little bit more complicated. The 75 to like 115 range is pretty complicated. And then everything beyond that, that's what I think you can call... I mean, we got to come up with a fun name for it, but that's like... That's its own weird little beast. That's where you're into straight upside plays. And then that, right now, is almost becoming its own unsorted bucket. Because this upside play stuff, as you come across additional names, as you're working your way through the league, you're going to realize that even within that upside play bucket, there are certain guys you're like, you know what, this is just a guy that I'd be willing to throw on the end of my bench for the first two weeks of the season and see what happens. We mentioned it, I think, on the first first pass show where I was like, look, John Wall, who's probably going to have a horrible fantasy season. His fantasy game has has fallen off the map. But he's interesting because who knows? Maybe you open up a bottle and whammo, lightning, snap the lid on that sucker. He has the ability to do more than Kevin Herter or Dante DiVincenzo or whatever name you want to come up with. Uh, or even like a Jay Crowder, who almost definitely will finish at a higher 9-cat rank this year than John Wall, but Crowder's going to be on and off of waivers all season long. We're going to know what Wall is after two weeks, three weeks of the season, but that's a guy that, if it were to work on the 4% chance it works, he would be more useful for your fantasy team. It's just sort of a, like, what do I actually need to spend my credits on at this point in the draft? So I think when you start to work your way through this first pass, we're doing it mostly together. At the beginning, continue to lean a little bit into totals. You want those early guys to actually get out on the floor and play. It does matter how many times they suit up. And really spend time trying to line those up in the right order. Take your time with it. And the next group, you know, I'd say continue to take your time with it. And even the group after that, that sort of like, you're you're just teetering on the brink of, do I even feel like I need to spend a drafts day roster slot on these type of guys? It is still better, I think, to sort them in order of, that's kind of like that last bucket before it turns into total crap is the bucket of, uh, these are guys that shouldn't be left undrafted. There's something interesting about them. And then there's the, okay, like there's no problem if these guys are left undrafted, but who among them has any kind of outside chance? So even right now, 
as we're working through this, I'm like nine teams in. I'm gonna I'll I'll keep it in the oven a little bit longer. This is like a Thanksgiving turkey. We gotta roast it for a while. Uh, start to st- to arrange this thing. These are not the buckets, but these are a way of sorting now, so that pass two becomes a little bit less ungainly next week. And that's all I really wanted to say about the first pass right now. Because, again, we're like 50 players in. Giving you the order of them right now is is idiotic and terrible podcast material. Uh, but some of those overarching broad stroke ideas of how to categorize them right now, how to make sure you've got things generally in the right spot, how to not overlook anything, that's all you really need to be worrying about at this juncture. Plus, there are still a few teams where you've got these players that are in, in a very nebulous spot. The Jazz, we don't know if they're into full tank yet. One trade could completely detonate everything we do with Utah. I'm, I'm, if you're wondering which team I haven't done from the Northwest Division yet, I'm just waiting until we hear what's going on with Braun and then what's going on with KD because Donovan Mitchell might be the third of those dominoes, and I, you know, I can't hold out and do this podcast that late, but we might just not be able to put any jazz players on this board yet. All right, that's enough of that schmaltz. You guys have a lovely weekend. Thank you, as always, for listening all off-season long. It's ridiculous. There's absolutely no reasonable reason why we should have this many downloads through the off-season, but here you are. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hit me up if you want to join our Sports Ethos Discord, which now has a uh, free side that's starting to uh, very slowly pick up steam because we're adding like five people a week right now before the the big crush comes in September, October. Uh, Sports Ethos Leagues will be opening shortly. We have football leagues that are open now. If you want to get involved in those, you can hit me up on Twitter. And if you want to be part of our recruiting push, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Again, it's D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And with that, I bid you all adieu. Have a lovely weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday at some point. Wish I knew my own damn schedule, but I don't. So long for now. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.